Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life.
you have your Bibles, I hope you do, go ahead and stay standing because we're going to read God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians. We are continuing to explore what Paul is teaching the church in the process, hopefully learning a little something ourselves about ourselves. But we are in the fifth chapter of Galatians, beginning with verse 1. And here's what Paul writes. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again in every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You were severed from Christ. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Father, we praise you for your word. And we ask, Father, that your word would 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 enter our hearts and would move us and change us and and get us to examine ourselves in a way that helps us to walk in your spirit, helps us to walk close to you, helps us to get out of those situations where we are tempted. You always provide a way, and we praise you for that. May your word never come back void, Lord. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, freedom has been the call of a large portion of Galatians. In fact, some would argue that the whole Bible is about freedom. We talked a lot about it last week, and we're going to talk about it more today. But Paul begins this section uh, of his letter by giving us the reason why Jesus came. If you ever wonder, why did Jesus come? It was for freedom that Jesus came. Well, freedom from what? Well, freedom from ourselves and freedom from sin, obviously. But it was that freedom that caused him, because of that, he wants us to come. The problem with freedom is that freedom has an enemy. The enemy is the devil, and and what he will do is he will use legalism amongst many of his other swords that he has in his pocket, which is in itself a tyrant. It wants to steal our freedom away. See, a tyrant is defined as an oppressive, unjust, cruel ruler who governs without restrictions. I'll give you my personal opinion about our world today. I think we're experiencing some tyranny. At least they're trying to. Hopefully uh, people wake up and are smart enough to know that tyranny destroys our freedom. But a tyrant is one who takes something that may actually be good. It's not that a tyrant always does things that is evil. It's that something that is tyranny will take something that is good, but what it does to it, it makes it ultimately essential. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Vaccines are good, but they're not essential. And I'm not just talking about the latest one. They're not essential, but they're good. But a tyranny, a tyrant, will take something that is good for us and will actually make it of the utmost importance. 
as Christians, when we turn to value something that is ultimately essential, the tyranny of legalism is at work in us. When we take something that's not the correct thing and we make it of utmost importance in our lives, that's tyranny. And it's legalism. And we run the risk of giving up our freedom that we have in Christ. Now, on the flip side of the coin, we, we can preserve our freedom in Christ when we make essential in our lives those things that are essential to God. You know, a place for everything and everything in its place. One day I'll learn that in my garage. Until then, I'm struggling with it. But in my life, that's true. There are some things in my life that are good. There are some things in my life that I need to survive. But they are not essential. And if I make them essential, I am allowing them to be a tyrant to me. And I've gone to legalism. And now I'm losing my freedom. And the same thing happens in the church. If we begin to make things in the church that are good, more important than what God says is good, we lose our freedom. In Christ. We have probably experienced this kind of legalism in our lives. I, I've been part of many a congregational meeting where it was more important what the color of the carpet was, or the style of the music, or the style of the light fixtures. They were of utmost importance to people, and they cared more about that than they did about the widows and the orphans who were not being taken care of. Or they cared more about that than the fact that the gospel was not being proclaimed to the people, or that the pastor was not preaching from the gospel. Places where non-essentials are made essentials become toxic places to be. We've all experienced it, unfortunately, in our lives. We can't stand to be there because it's toxic to us. Nearly every church has to deal with legalism. It's part of all of us. It's part of every church body. It's in this church now. Now, I don't think it's rearing its ugly head, but it's here. It's here because we are here. It's here because it goes unnoticed in our lives until it finds that opportunity to raise up and to start pushing us towards making something important that is not important. There's this story of a, of a pool, a public pool in Chicago, and there was a young boy who's going down the slide, and as he goes down the slide, he runs into a body of a woman who had been there for a whole week underwater. Numerous days of that week, the pool had been opened, and people never noticed that there was a, bo- a body at the bottom because the water was so stirred up and murky, they couldn't see the body. And this is how legalism works in the church it lurks in those deep recesses of our souls, waiting for somebody to bump into it and let it up. It's in the corner of our hearts, patiently waiting for this opportunity to rise to the surface and make itself known. And unfortunately, those that are the most religious are most prone to falling for legalism. 
See, a person suffering from legalism has lost their sight of what really matters. They have a laser focus on something that in reality is inconsequential. And I don't just mean in the church. It happens in our lives. There are times in Beth's and my relationship where she has to look at me and say, you're not focusing on the right thing. And there are times that I have to look at her and say, you know, that really doesn't matter. There are more important things than that. It's not that these non-essential things are bad. In fact, they, they can be very good. But they are not of utmost importance. And the legalists will, what they will do is they'll not only where they focus on that thing, but they'll look down on anyone who doesn't feel the same way that they do. That's what we're seeing in this church in Galatia, these churches in Galatia. We're seeing the Judaizers coming in and looking down on the new believers saying, well, you're not circumcised. You're not, you're not following the law. And they look down on them. They're trying to convince them that circumcision is essential to become a follower of Christ. Now, we don't know exactly what they said. I'm not sure that that's the first thing they did was come in and say, okay, all men line up because you're going to get snipped. I mean, that is not exactly a, you know, a great advertisement to become a Christian. But I'm sure they spent some time there and they started saying, started thinking about, okay, how do we, how do we approach the subject? They found this opportunity and they said, well, this is what you need to do. You need to, you need to become Jewish in order to be Christian. What we do know that in Acts 15, we have an instance where it's, um, Luke records what was said. This is uh, what's happening. This is in Antioch. Um, Paul and Barnabas have returned to Antioch. And this is what it says. It says in 15.1, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. So they're not just standing up and saying. They're actually getting involved in the church, and they're beginning to teach. And they say, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now imagine if, if you were a believer in Christ and you heard that. Like, oh, and you've been a believer for a while. You're like, oh, I really missed something, didn't I? And, and, and so they, they believed it. But see, the problem was is that we, we have this tendency to lose the sight of the essentials. When we, when we take our eyes off of those things that are truly essential, that's when legalism will send in. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> when... When you, when you see a squirrel, you're like, oh, squirrel, and you, and you, you know, run off the road or something happens like this. It's getting distracted. That's what happens. We get distracted from those essential things, and legalism slips in. And then we slip back into slavery, and we lose Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. Because he says in verse 2 of Galatians 5, if you accept circumcision, ah, circumcision Christ will be no advantage to you. You might as well not have Jesus if you're going to accept that. And the reason why is because if we accept these other things that we believe will work us and, and get us to the point where we are considered Christian and righteous, if we believe there are things we can do that make us righteous, it distracts us, and what we are now we're doing, we're putting our faith in those things to save us rather than in Jesus. It's Jesus who saves us, not those things. That's why Paul says, Jesus, Christ has no advantage. 
They're looking for circumcision. Look at the circumcision as a spiritual benefit. That's going to benefit them spiritually. He's like, what? It, it makes no difference. He says, if you're going to do this, if you're going to be circumcised, you better obey the whole law. In fact, you are inclined. You are. You must obey the whole law if you're going to obey one of the laws. And you might as well become Jewish completely. And Christ won't have any advantage to you. What is really happening in essence when we when we look to legalism, when we look to something and we place it as such a high importance over what God says is important. We'll get to that in a moment. We're relying on ourselves. We're relying on the actions that we take to save us, to give us a spiritual benefit. We don't have, we don't rely on the blood of Christ anymore. We won't have the life that He lived. We'll be without His grace. All these things that are outside of us, that we know give us a spiritual benefit His blood, His life, His grace are gone because we're relying on this thing over here, which is of so much insignificance, it doesn't matter. All we have is our silly, little, dissatisfied, sinful self with doesn't exactly comfort us very much. I don't know about you, but when I really do a soul search on myself, and I, I'm not too comforted by who I am without Christ. With all the stuff that's been going on in our lives with, with, with friends and my father dying, I don't understand how anybody could get through this life without Jesus. It's impossible. But losing sight of what counts leads us to a life that has no joy. It's, it's focused only on those things that we have to continue to do. In fact, the lack of joy is probably one of the earliest signs that legalism is taking control of your life. When you begin to lose your joy and you can't find joy in your daily living with Jesus, you know that you have now started to become legalistic. Because the joy that we have in Christ can withstand enormous amounts of sorrow, enormous amounts of loss. But the joy cannot easily be sustained when we neglect God's essentials. When we neglect what God says is most important, our joy will not be sustained. Legalism brings us frustration and guilt, and brings us frazzled nerves. And we don't live a joy-filled life. What Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians 5, 15-17, he says, now look carefully, then, how you walk. I, I, have, a, I have a problem um, with my glasses. I have bifocals. Now, if I put my bifocals on and I try I have trouble stepping down steps. That's why I kind of stay in back from that as much as I can. I have to actually look down through the top of my glasses to walk down steps. I must walk carefully. And what Paul's telling the church, he says, look carefully. I love that. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. (laughs) 
If I know I'm going to trip, I'm going to look down before I walk. That's wise. It's not. Un, it's unwise for me just to go and, and hope I hit the right step, right? He says, making the best use of the time. See, when we, when we focus on things that are non-essential, we're wasting our time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, we need to know what God's will is. And it's pretty simple, actually. But we need to know it. We need to walk in wisdom. So we need to know. If we, we need to know what God's will is. We need to know what counts, what doesn't count. Because there's a lot of things in our lives that are constantly being thrown at us. A lot of stuff that we can be involved in. A lot of stuff that we could do just in our personal life. You know, I, I, have, I have probably close to 2,000 books on my list. And I've probably read about 600 of them. So, I mean, I could, I could go crazy and just be all over the place and reading seven or eight books and never finishing them at one time. I have to be methodical about it. Okay? I have to be wise about it. There's so many things that are coming at us constantly. We need crystal clear. We need to know exactly what counts and what doesn't so that we can be aware of it. It's not that we can't do these things that are not essential because they're good. It's just that they can't be our main focus. We can be assured that our freedom in Christ and we can avoid the, the slavery of legalism by having this laser focus on what is important to God, what matters most. Because if we lose sight of it, spiritual slavery is right on our doorstep, ready to come in and to lead us to a place we don't want to go. And we're lucky because Paul makes very clear to the Galatians what matters and what doesn't. There's no guessing here. Verse 6 of Galatians 5. He says, I know we didn't do verse 5 yet. We'll get back to verse 5. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision, uncircumcision or circumcision counts for anything. And this is the key right here. This is what the most important thing is for God. This is what counts. He says, but only, only, nothing else, only faith working through love. That's it. That's it. This statement is interesting. I mean, Paul has stated to the to the to the Galatians before that that if if they get circumcised, you know, they're falling from grace. And the reason they fall from grace is because not because circumcision is bad or sinful or stupid, though some people might think it is if you're older. But it's not wrong to circumcise a baby. There's nothing wrong to get circumcised. It's not even old-fashioned. But the problem with circumcision is it doesn't really matter. Now, to a Jew, this is extremely controversial. For him to say this, because circumcision was extremely important. It was what God gave Abraham to set them apart, him apart, his and his descendants apart from the nations. It was a sign a sign of this separateness of God's chosen people. But Paul's not looking at circumcision from this old covenant perspective. What he's doing is he's looking at circumcision and asking the question, what does circumcision have to do with our standing with God? If I'm circumcised, does that make me closer to God? Does that make me further away from God? What does it do? And whether one is circumcised or uncircumcised, whether Jew or Gentile, will not make a 
bit of difference on the day of judgment. You understand that? That is the truth. So we have this revolutionary insight, this insight that's key to living a gospel-focused life that we see in Galatians and, and the rest of Scripture. What really matters in this life is what matters to God when we stand before Him in judgment. That's what matters. It is not what happens today. It's not all the trappings of our lives. It's not whether or not I get this done or that done. What matters is what matters to God on the day of judgment. It all comes down to that. And what matters to God is faith worked out through love. It's the same thing that matters today. Today what matters is faith worked out through love. Our faith in Jesus Christ. But not love in the way that the world sees it. Now the world may look at that and say, well, you know, we need to accept everybody. That's loving. We need to accept whatever anybody does. That's loving. No, that's actually wrong because that is not what matters at the day of judgment. What matters is true love. And if you love Jesus, you're not going to do those things that he calls us in. And if I love you, I'm going to call you out on it in love, but I'm going to call you out on your sins if I see you doing them. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to, my, my goal is not to make you feel good about yourself. My goal is to make you feel good about Jesus and know that to love you means to show you the truth. And the truth is, there are things we do that are sinful. And we need to stop them. And God makes it possible for us to stop them. It's not about accepting everything and everyone and what everybody wishes to do in their sinfulness. It's out of love that we must confront those within the church especially, who are sinning. And we must share the gospel with those outside the church. This is also not the kind of faith that gives this mental assent to truth. You know, yeah, well, I, be- I, I, I believe that. Really? How do I know you believe it? When it changes your life. When it shows in how you live. See, the kind of faith that just gives a mental assent to things is the same kind of faith that demons have. James says in James 2.19, you believe that God is one. Well, I have faith. I believe that. I don't, don't doubt that one bit. Well, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. See, it's not just a matter of, oh, I believe in God. You know, I believe in Jesus. Really? If you do, then it changes your life. And you're, you're living a life of love because of your faith. Other than that, you can just say you believe in Jesus and it doesn't really mean anything. See, the kind of faith that makes a difference is one that trusts Jesus for salvation and is expressed in love for both God and for others. It's the kind of faith that's working through love, as Jesus puts it in the book of Mark. Jesus is... That's what he says in Mark 12, and you know this verse. This has been 
verse for this church in a long time. And you shall love the Lord your God. It's for the children's ministry. You hear it all the time. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, you may be wondering, is this really relevant to us? Is, is the fact that we need to, 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 to have our faith working in love, is it relevant? I mean, we don't believe in, we know lying's wrong, right? We know lying is a sin. We know stealing is a sin. We know cheating and murder are not okay. But there's some of the, within the church body, and not just this, but I mean the church body at large, who might think that water baptism is more important. Or political views are more important. Or hymns versus contemporary music is most important. Or whether the pastor wears a tie is the most important thing. And yes, sometimes I do wear a tie. People are surprised when they see me. And there's nothing wrong with wearing Well, for me, I don't like wearing a tie. I don't like, I don't like preaching like this. But there's nothing wrong with wearing a tie. It's not bad. But if you look at me and say that, well, you know, that's more important than anything else, there's a problem. Because see, like the Bible-believing Galatians, and they believe the Bible. Well, they believe the gospel. They didn't have the Bible. They believe the gospel. We might be tempted to turn what is a good thing, like circumcision, into the ultimate thing. So premillennialism nor amillennialism count ultimately. Faith working through love is the only thing that matters. Arminianism or Calvinism is not of utmost importance. Only faith working through love. Traditional nor contemporary music is of utmost importance. Only faith working through love. Not, neither, either voting, neither voting Republican or Democrat ultimately count. Only faith expressed through love. Neither red carpet, blue carpet, or even purple, purple carpet matter. But only faith working through love. Get the point, right? It's not that we shouldn't care about these things. I, it should matter how we vote. It should, it should matter what we think about Calvinism and Arminianism. Most, most, some of you might be thinking, well, what is that? Well, when talk to me about it sometime, I'll explain it. You know, we should, we should be able to discuss those things, but those are not the most important things. The only thing that matters is what promotes faith and produces love. It's one of those things that, you know, I, I, I think that's going to come out of everything that's happened to my family in the last couple of weeks is, you know, folks, we got to focus on what's most important here. I had, a, in the midst of all of that, I'll be honest with you, I did have an issue. I'm not going to give you all the details. I had a confrontation with somebody that was making something of themselves exactly most important than anything else. And I told him, you're not the most important thing here. You're not. And I love you. It wasn't anybody in my family, so we're good. I love you, but you have to understand, you've got to, you've got to, we'll talk about this. We'll deal with the, your stuff later after my dad passes away. But right now I've got to deal, you know, we, we've got to be here for this. And it finally came around, but it was hard. It wasn't important. What this person was expressing was not important. At that time, it was it was something we were going to have to deal with, and and but it wasn't of utmost importance. 
what produces faith and what produces love. If they don't, if, it, if what we're doing doesn't, then we're missing what ultimately counts. Paul said, and he's talking to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, he says, if, if I give away all that I have, if I give away everything, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. See, the only thing that's going to matter when we're standing before Christ in judgment is faith expressed, worked, shown, however you want to say it, through love. So we must live with this eternal view in mind. And we need to plan our time according to that. If my faith is more important expressed through love, what does that mean? That means it's more important for me to work on my faith. It's more important for me to study God's Word. It's more important for me to love those around me, to love my neighbor, to love the, the, the stranger that I encounter at the grocery store. That is more important than anything else. Because... All those other things are not going to matter. I'm sorry, but when, when we stand before Christ, he's not going to say, wow, I was really impressed that you reached level 42 in Halo. You know, if there is a level 42, I have no idea. I, haven't, I never played Halo. Well, I shouldn't say that. I haven't played it like that to where I know. But he's not going to care. He's going to say, did you love did you, did you have faith in me and was it expressed through your love to others? We must live with the eternity in view and plan our time according to the roles and the responsibilities that God has placed in our lives. And when we're, when we're tempted to turn to something that is in reality good, right, We need to ask ourselves, what does this have to do with the final judgment? And it doesn't mean we can't do it. I mean, for example, we just we bought a camper not too long ago. I spent two days this week working on this camper, scraping off old putty and old, um, um, I can't even think of the word, silicone, and putting new on, and, and just doing little things to it. Now, is that of utmost importance? No. Was it okay that I did it? Yeah. What is of utmost importance is how did I express my love and what is, what's going to happen when I'm going to express my faith through love through the rest of the week? I could spend every day working on that camper. I could be obsessed about it. And I found that if I do a couple little things, I don't obsess about it anymore. At least I got a little bit done. What good is it going to do us at the final judgment? We have to apply this idea of faith working through love. It's a test. We need to test everything. Scripture tells us to take every thought captive. That's why. We need to test it against. Is this something, Is this when I say this, if I say this to you, is it going to be something that's going to make you feel love? Or is it going to hurt you? You know, faith working through love. 
Because what happens is this: when we do that, it helps us stand firm in our freedom in Christ. And we won't return to the yoke of slavery that legalism brings us. Now we're going to go back to verse 5. I didn't forget it. I just kind of skipped over it for a moment. And we're going to learn how to live in light of the, what ultimately counts. How do we live if, if, faith expressed through lo, um, if faith expressed through love is what matters at the end, it matters at the day of judgment, if it matters to us today, then how are we supposed to live? And Paul says in verse 5, this is for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. See, to live with final judgment in our mind, it may seem kind of strange. Because many of us live day to day, right? We, we, we just want, I can only deal with today. I can't deal with any of the problems of tomorrow. I can only deal with right now. We have our lives so full that we can't even think about tomorrow, let alone a time in the future. And we don't know how far into the future. In fact, I think that may be one reason why a lot of us don't think this way because, you know, we've been spending so much time on other things and we don't think about the final judgment. It's not taught very much in the church anymore. But the good news is that when we do this, when we think and live with the final day in mind, we will experience greater and greater freedom. It, it's an oxymoron. How can, how can I, when I'm, when I'm thinking about something in the future, when I'm thinking about something like, like the day of judgment, how does that give me freedom? Because it gives you the, you realize that some of this stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. It's not important. Why am I fretting about it? Why am I so we're upset about it? And it's not like, for example, uh, I, I mean, I can't sit there and say that, you know, I'm not going to worry about paying my bills anymore. I mean, I got to pay my bills, right? I got to pay them. But I don't fret about it. I just do it and I'm done with it. I don't focus on it. I spend more time focusing on that final day. What can I do today that shows that I have faith in Christ and that I love him and I love others? Freedom that will be characterized by a spiritual vitality that Paul himself is experiencing. What counts most is the very thing that puts us in a right relationship with God. It's what Paul calls righteousness. See, I I am not righteous in and of myself. When we were talking about the... um, the breastplate of righteousness when we were talking about Ephesians, that's not my righteousness. There's no one who's good. It's Christ's righteousness. So how do I get Christ's righteousness imputed on me, put on me? What's well, by faith? I, I, I trust him. I believe that he came and he died for me so that I could live. And it's that righteousness that he puts on me. And it puts me in a right relationship with God. Those who are righteous are those who are in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He is the only way to have a right relationship with God. There's no other way. And the great thing about it is the Bible tells us that we can receive that righteousness right now. 
when I believe in Christ, when I put my faith in Christ, when I say Jesus is Lord of my life and I begin to live it, I have his righteousness. I'm not perfect. I'm still going to sin. I'm still going to stumble. I still need to ask for forgiveness when I stumble, when I fall. But I learn from that. But at the same time, this righteousness is something that we look forward to in the future. When it is fulfilled, when it is full. Paul says that in verse 5. He says, we're eagerly waiting for it. We have righteousness of Christ today, and we're waiting for more of it into the future. See, the problem is, we treat the things of today as ultimate. Why? Because we're hoping that these good things might actually enhance our relationship with God. You know, if we sang all 27 verses of just as I am, we would have, you know, we'd be more righteous, right? No. And we may sing all 27 verses. There are not 27 verses, by the way, but it's hyperbole. But we may sing them, and that's fine. It's good. But that doesn't make us more righteous might make us more self-righteous, but not more righteous. But when we take these good things and we think they'll enhance our relationship with God, we're actually stepping into this dangerous territory of tyranny, of legalism. And the Bible says the only way you can be right with God is through Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no other way. Faith in Christ Jesus and Christ alone. So how do we live? How are we to be living? We should live by faith, trusting in God's promises. We talked about that last week. That's how we need to live. In faith, trusting in the promises of God. And we should live by the Spirit, relying on the power of God. When I find myself in temptation, and and something is tempting me, I can't rely upon myself. I have to rely on the power of God. I have to take it to Christ and say, Lord, help me. Help me to get rid of this temptation. Help me to fight it. Help me to turn the other way. Because if I try to do it on my own, I'm going to fail. That's living by the Spirit and living in the power of God. If we live this way, We're going to be in stark contrast to the legalist. Because the legalist doesn't think that way. You know, if you just, you know, if you just, all you got to do is, you just need to meditate more. Yeah, meditate more. You, You just, you just need to, you know, you need to, you need to have this talk to yourself. You know, you need to, you need to, you need to self talk yourself out of it. I mean, these are the things that a legalist will say. Or even worse, they'll say, well, you've got a little bit of God in you. You just need to tap that God essence that's in you. It's called panentheism, by the way. And it's a heresy. Trusting in the promises of Jesus and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit is the only way. The only way we can maintain our freedom in Christ. But we will worry instead of waiting. We will strive instead of rest. We will depend on our own resources instead of resting on the sufficiency that comes through Jesus Christ if we don't do that, if we don't rely on the promises of Christ. You know what ultimately counts? There was a a British historian, Paul Johnson. He wrote a, a book about Winston Churchill. 
And this is what he says. He says about Winston Churchill, he says, No man did more to preserve freedom and democracy and values we hold dear in the West. And it's like, well, so how did Winston Churchill do this? I mean, we're not talking about his, his spiritual life. I'm not, I, have, I have no idea. But how did he, how was he the one who preserved freedom so much? The key to Churchill's success as a statesman, a leader, and a champion for freedom was that he kept his priorities straight. He knew what was most important. Do we know what ultimately counts in our lives? But not only in this life, but on the day of judgment? What are we prioritizing in our prayers? What are we praying for? What's the focus of our time, the focus of our energy? What have we placed our hope in? Family? Our job? Our retirement plan? Our hope needs to be in Christ, in Christ alone. What are we striving to see accomplished in our lives and the lives of those around us? See, the whole goal is for our lives to be rooted in the gospel. And we'll see that faith working through love is what ultimately counts. It's what matters to God most. And will make a difference not only just today, but will make a difference on the day of judgment. What ultimately counts to you today? Because what counts then is our faith expressed and worked through love. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your promises that you've given us. And for the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to overcome this world. Lord, it's easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for us to turn to those things that really don't matter. A term making a mountain out of a molehill seems to come into play a lot of times in our lives. But we know, Lord, that in reality that molehill is just a molehill. And we need you to help us to keep our eyes focused on what is of most importance. Father, we pray that you would just help us do that this week. Help us to see a difference in our lives when we focus on our faith expressed through love. As we walk about our days and encounter people that I, I believe that you know you bring into our path. Give us a peace, Father. A peace that surpasses all understanding knowing that you've promised us that you'll never leave us and you've promised us that you will come again. And those are just a few of the promises we have in Scripture. Help us to seek out all your promises and to live by them and be encouraged by them. And help us encourage each other in prayer and in conversation, continuing to help us to focus on what really matters. We praise you for the righteousness of Christ. Without it, we would be lost. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. 
My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.